Welcome to the Ivy League Prep Academy podcast, where we help you make a meaningful impact in your communities and get accepted to your dream university. Becoming the person that Ivy League schools recruit is more enjoyable and meaningful than you ever imagined. Come find out why. Hello, everyone. We are super lucky to have with us today Iris Fu. Iris just graduated from high school and was accepted to Stanford University. Her impressive impact projects include publishing a gender-neutral economics textbook. I'm really excited to hear about that. And a program to improve international relations in authentic ways. She's pretty impressive. She plays the piano, the flute, uh, played varsity tennis, and then deliberately chose to shift from being so incredibly well-rounded towards giving herself enough time to scale those impact projects that meant the most to her. And I'm excited to hear about how she came to that Uh, how she arrived at that conclusion and and how she arrived at that strategy. She now has a popular and growing YouTube channel where she shares her story and and other tips about how to develop yourself into the kind of person that elite universities fight over. So I can't think of a better guest for the Ivy League Prep Academy podcast this week. Welcome, Iris. Thanks, Steve. Super excited to be on the podcast. Yeah, excellent. Well, tell us, first of all, are you excited to be going to Stanford University? Yeah, for sure. So I think growing up, you know, I kind of had an idea of a dream school, but when I was going through the college application process, I told myself that, you know, no matter which school I go to, I'm going to have a great experience. And I think that was to just, you know, lift a weight off my shoulders and um, to have less pressure going into the process. Um, But then after I got all of my decisions and, you know, looked at all the options that I had, I really, truly, you know, realized that Stanford is at the end of the day, still my dream school. And I'm really, really excited to be going there. I love California. I love the campus. Um, the people have this amazing like vibe where, you know, everyone's super chill, but everyone is brilliant, but no one is um, really flaunting about how smart they are or what they've sure. accomplished. Right. And then the academics and um, the departments are just amazing. And I love how they have this interdisciplinary focus, um, especially yes. with like CS and the humanities, which is kind of one of my interests as well. So really excited. Absolutely. Well, everything they do that's computer science based is going to be absolutely amazing. And if you can be interdisciplinary about that and, and connect that to some other area, I mean, that puts you in, in great position to, to do some great things in the world. What a great choice. So tell us about the road to get there, right? How many schools did you apply to? Um, Was Stanford your top choice early on or was it kind of after everything was said and done and then Stanford rose to the top? What, What happened there? Yeah. So like I mentioned previously, I think Stanford was in my heart, always my top choice. I I think I just didn't really let myself recognize that until after I got in because, you know, you want to prevent yourself from getting hurt you know, because yeah, rejections do stay. <laughs> and so actually during my senior year when I applied, I decided not to apply early action. I know a lot of people apply to their first choice as their early school, just so that, you know, if they find out that they get in, then the application process is over. It saves them a lot of stress and application fees. However, Stanford has um, this music or art supplement option for students. And they are the only school I applied to that had an earlier deadline for the art supplement. So if I were to apply to Stanford early, that would have been an October 15th deadline. And I was still working on my common application essay and all my supplemental essays in like September. And I just didn't really feel ready. And I think because I really 
valued Stanford as one of my top choices. I wanted to make sure that my application was going to be in the best shape that it can be in. So I decided to give myself that extra time and actually apply regular decision to Stanford. As to how many schools I applied to, I applied to 20, which is a lot. (laughs) Yeah, I know it's a lot. But a lot of them were UCs. So the UC system has just one application. So really, I think I just had about like 13, 14 unique applications (laughs) to write. Still (laughs) a lot. I want to talk just a little bit about your mindset here, because you've alluded to this twice now. And we're only a minute into this interview. You know, we're just getting started. So you didn't want to put undue pressure on yourself. And we talk about in the Ivy League Prep Academy, right? We talk about students who who take the Ivy League Challenge. We say, you do not want to set your heart on any one school or even any one set of schools. You want to set your heart on turning this into a positive experience, a game, where you see how big of an impact you can make on the world. And as you scale your impact and you do things that make the world even better and then even better and you scale and you grow your sphere of influence, two things happen. One, you become the kind of person that Stanford or Harvard or whatever, the, the top, the, your Duke, your Berkeley, your whatever your top school is, you're, you become the kind of student that they might, might want to accept right? And remember, there's a might there. Even when you're making a huge impact on the world and your academics are, are great, these are still, all of these schools are schools that receive 20 applications for every one that they accept. And of those 20, 15 are legitimately outstanding students. So they're doing some amazing things. And, and when push comes to shove, there is an element of, I don't know if ambiguity is the right word or luck is the right word, but there's certainly an element that's outside of your control to being admitted, to being accepted to any one given school, especially at the at the top tiers. So instead of focusing on that school that is dependent on at least to some level, some luck, we talk about turn this into a game. How big of an impact can you make in the world? And as you make this bigger and bigger impact in the world, your school, your dream school is more and more likely to want you. But second of all, guess what? You are less and less dependent on your dream school. You are more and more likely to be successful without your dream school than uh, you were before when you kind of depended on, on being a Stanford graduate or a Harvard graduate to live the life that you dream of. When you start taking action and, and being proactive, solving problems early on, that shifts everything. And so it sounds like you had some strategies, some tactics mentally to kind of keep yourself focused on the things that are inside of your control, inside of your sphere of influence, and and really put you in a position that, indeed, the Stanfords of the world, including the real Stanford, wanted to accept you. And I love the congratulations letter from your admissions officer. That was so touching and so wonderful. So they really, really wanted you, right? And it's because of the kind of person that you grew to become. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, I totally agree with that philosophy. I think it's something I try to talk about in my YouTube channel is that, you know, there's so much stress in this admissions process. And I think students are so often 
bogged down by like, oh, which activity would colleges like better, volunteering at the homeless shelter or at the animal shelter? And I I think it's, it's, it's very cool how I think universities maybe a decade ago used to incentivize for like perfect SAT scores and being leaders of like a hundred school clubs. But today I think there's been a shift in the admission scene where it's more um, incentivizing for students to follow their passions or interests and to make an impact in the world, however that might be. You know, you don't have to get a perfect SAT score. You don't have to lead a thousand clubs. You know, as long as you're being authentic to what you like and taking initiative on the interests that you have, then I think that is, at the end of the day, the most I think, healthy way for a student to develop as a young adult. And also it um, is aligned with what the colleges are looking for. So in that sense, it's a win-win situation. And then also what you, with what you were saying about like external pressure versus um, like doing things that are within your control. I think, yeah, like totally not viewing college as the end goal is something that is really important for kind of taking hold of your own life, you know, like your life isn't determined by an acceptance letter from an institution. There's so many other factors at play. And ultimately your success in life is dependent on you as an individual, not the institutions you attend or are affiliated with. And there's so much to life beyond college and college is really a tool for you to build the rest of your career, whatever it is that you want. So I think um, just really overcoming that societal culture sometimes that tells us that we go through high school to get in col- into college is important. It's hard, but I think it's really important to look beyond college. Wonderful. Yeah. Shift that mindset. It's, it's so unhealthy to try to, like you said, game the system and say, which volunteer opportunity should, would Duke care more about? <laughs> and then, mm-hmm. and then try to make your decisions based on what you think the randomly assigned ac- admissions officer uh, is going to care most about. How on earth could you guess that? How, how could you know? And, and the great thing is, if you, if you discover that these people are really well-trained to look into that and to see that that's what's happened, oh, this looks like someone who's trying to game the system. They're trying to check all the boxes. There's no theme uh, around who they are. I don't really feel like I know this person when I read through their admissions application. They, they kind of feel, figure out that you're, you're trying to game the system. So it's, it's, mm-hmm. a, it's a lose-lose proposition all the way around. Yeah, and one thing I bring up a lot to underclassmen is this framework of what would you do if college wasn't a thing? So a lot of students come to me like right like asking, "Hey, should I do this activity or that activity? Which one will look better on my college application?" And I just ask another question back to them, which is, "Which one would you pick if you weren't applying to college?" And I think whichever one they choose would be the one that they're more interested in. And that would actually be more beneficial for their college applications, but also for who they are as a person. Absolutely. Excellent. That's a great, really simple solution to this, right? Just which one would you choose if you weren't going to apply to university? Go make your difference. Be you, right? The more you can be you, the more they're going to appreciate the you that they find. So. All right. Well, I'm interested in this in, in a little bit more in your journey. Uh, you applied to university a year early, right? When when you were just a sophomore going into your junior year, were you planning to skip your senior year of high school if 
if you got into the right school? Is that was that kind of your thought at that time? Yes, it was. So going into high school, actually, a lot of my friends were upperclassmen, and so I was watching them. They were about to graduate, and I, it felt like I was also ready to graduate, which I was. I was on track to graduate by the end of junior year, and so I okay. talked to my school counselor about it, and she told me that. I could apply if I wanted to, especially because I was on track to graduate. So that is a, a requirement that some colleges have, but others don't. Um, so it was good that I was on track because then all the colleges were options for me to apply to. So I applied and my plan was that if I got in, then I would just graduate a year early and go on to college. Yeah. What I love about this, first of all, you are creating your path, right? And you're not you're not basing your path on what most people should do. You are looking at your circumstances. You, you're, you're looking at yourself, your friends, you, your own mental, you know, where you are mentally and emotionally and socially. And you say, it makes sense for me to do something different. And then it sounds like you spent time with your college counseling department and mm -hmm. you asked questions and got feedback. How important is it would you say to get that feedback and to spend time in the college counseling office just to be as familiar as possible with what's possible? Yeah, I think it's always important to have mentors in life who can guide you. And so my school's counseling office was one avenue for that. Um, but even beyond my school, you know, I talked it, talked it out with my mom. I talked it out with my friends and uh, read a lot of online blogs and articles on like graduating early and applying to college early. And so just really seeking out guidance in whatever ways you can is super important. Yeah, that's wonderful. And there's a lot of students who are ready to go after their junior year. That's, that's fantastic. Mm -hmm. What did you learn about applying twice? The second time around, obviously, you were accepted to a number of schools. Uh, what do you think made the difference your your second time applying? Yeah, great question. So the first time I was applying, I didn't know much about the college application processes at all. And I felt like I was in this dark tunnel and not really know which direction was the right direction. And I basically just had no strategy going in, right? I just mm. randomly put down my activities in the activities list, uh, just wrote about whatever came to mind. And I was very, very confused. I was like, should I write about this or that or something else? And at the end, I made my decision just based off uh, a guess and like how I felt inside. And yeah. I think and, what that and let's be clear. To, let me let me yeah. let me sorry to cut you off for a second. Let's be clear. You had some amazing activities already at that time. We were I mean, mm -hmm. varsity sports, um, elite music, music, um, outstanding academics. So it's not like you became a different person between your junior year and your senior right. year. You had some outstanding qualifications the first time you did your application. So just just getting that out there for everyone. OK, sorry. Right. <laughs> Yeah. So yeah, junior year, I was basically the perfect applicant in probably a lot of people's minds about right. an Ivy League admit, yet I was rejected from all the Ivy Leagues and Stanford. And I think a lot of people around me were very surprised at that. So I guess to uh, circle it back to what I was talking about, I had no strategy and mm -hmm. I just went with it and 
I, looking back, um, I think my application was definitely all over the place. As Steve said, I had like athletics, music, academics, I had everything. So I was a very well-rounded applicant. And in my essays, I just wrote about whatever flew to mind. So in my Common App essay, I wrote about uh, growing up in Beijing and uh, something about communism. And I'm like, I like politics and international relations at that point was not something that I had like very heavily invested in, in my extracurricular activities. It's only something that I thought about marginally and thought about the most when I was writing that essay. So it was like basically my first time, like really thinking hard about it. And I just decided to submit that as my essay. And if you think about it for 650 words, there's so many, there's like infinite possibilities of like what you can put in there. And we write in our journals all the time. We write blog posts. And to me, it was like, okay, which journal entry should I pick or which blog post should I pick? And I just had no idea. So I had no direction. And that's probably how my application came out off. Just, I think to an admissions officer, it'd be like, we don't know how she would fit into our class. Um, Even though I had the perfect grades, I had a high SAT score and I, you know, I had solid extracurriculars. Um, So with that as the foundation, um, going into senior year, I really reflected hard on, you know, why I got rejected from all these schools. And at that time, I was coming across a lot of articles on spikes and having an application theme. And I was really nervous because at this point, I'm a senior and all these articles that I'm reading about on spikes is like, okay, your spike is going to be math and you're just really, really good at math and you've won these international competitions. So it just seemed like you had to be really good at one thing. And even though I was good at the things I did, I wasn't like internationally renowned in any one activity. And it just didn't seem like I had this like spike and I was a senior so I didn't have any more time to develop my extracurriculars Um, but then like somewhere along the lines I came across the idea of a theme and like having a cohesive narrative in your application and so because I was a senior I was like all right (laughs) let's do it so I just really brainstormed really hard on what the common denominator between all of my activities were. So what was my motivation for building that video pal program? What was my motivation for writing the book? And what has been the most influential um, personal experiences in my life? And just reflecting on all of that, um, I I was quite overwhelmed at first because they seemed so um, diverse. And yeah, obviously my interests were really diverse and like, it didn't seem like there was anything in common on surface. Um, but then I realized that like I had this common motivation to like bring people together, whether that was through music, um, like music is to me like a universal language. And that yeah. was something I appreciated about music. And then my motivation behind the video pal program was to bridge different cultures together to build more cross-cultural understanding. I also studied abroad to gain greater understanding of the Taiwanese culture, which is something I didn't have a great understanding of. So I grew up in Beijing, China, and um, there's some conflicts with like Taiwan and China and then China and the US. So it was interesting to me to experience these three cultures. And then I also wrote an intro econ book um, that was seeking to bridge the gender gap in economics. And that it that was also an expression or outlet for me to bridge uh, this gap. And so after thinking really hard, like like it might seem obvious now that I explain it, but 
this definitely took me like a few months to actually understand about myself. And um, yeah, so ultimately what I concluded was that I have this common motivation to bring people together, whether or not, whether that was in music or um, like international relations with cultures or um, in economics or really all other avenues. So that was the theme and the narrative that I painted throughout my application in my activities list, my essays and my recommendation letters. Yeah. And that made all the difference. Um, that's tremendous. I mean, you've, you've outlined exactly the philosophy that we teach in, in the Ivy league challenge to create this narrative, to tie everything together so that you introduce a coherent person to the, the applications officer. Remember a human being is reading this. And the last thing you want is for the human being to be confused. Who is this Iris? Who is this person that I'm reading about? Is she a musician or is she an economics guru or is she a a this or that? And if you can tie it all together through your essays, say, okay, my, my resume is what it is, but let me explain what all, how all these activities come together, how, why these are important to me. And if your values come out through that, and it becomes clear that this is what is important to you, then the admissions officer says, I, I know this person. I can, I can understand how this person is going to fit into our class. And I would want to be this person's roommate for four years. If I, you know, if I was a new student on campus and I get assigned to this person, uh, I would think this person is very interesting, could add a lot of value to the community. And, mm-hmm. and this is what they do. Right. And so there's this coherent, cohesive narrative that that is that just runs throughout. And and then you have clear evidence. Right. You weren't just saying that bringing people together is important to you. Your resume was your evidence, but your evidence made sense because of the narrative. Music for this episode came from We Are Here by Declare P. I'm Steve Gardner. If you like what you heard, please subscribe and share with a friend. Thanks for listening.